Welcome back with me today as we continue our study of God's Word. We're talking about if we really are serious about letting Jesus be the Lord of our lives, we will follow his directions. We're talking from Ephesians 4 about some very, very practical directions which Paul gave us about how we should live our lives. He said we should be angry but not sin. We should be angry at evil, angry at sin, angry at things that are wrong. But also on the other half of the story, Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now there's a principle here. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That means don't let the day end and go to bed angry at someone. Don't hold it. Don't keep it. Don't continue it. Don't harbor it. There was a Jewish rabbi whose prayer went like this, that he might never go to sleep with any bitter thought against a brother. That's sound advice. That's the wonderful philosophy of married couples. That was one of the things that my wife and I adopted when we first got married is that we would not go to bed mad. Now, sometimes we had to stay up a while and discuss and get things taken care of that were between us before we could go to bed, but we didn't want to go to bed mad because if you go to bed mad, you wake up mad, and it's worse than when you went to bed, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and resentment grows, and things happen that shouldn't. So it's important that we don't go to bed angry at someone. It's really it's really a key thing to do. Now, next, he says, there are specific instructions concerning work. We're told, let this let the one who steals, steal no more. Rather, let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with those in need. Don't substitute stealing for work. That's what Paul is saying. We are commanded, six days shall you work. Learning to work is important and necessary, and it gives a real sense of accomplishment. From the time I was a young boy, I worked. It was necessary for our family, for my father died early, and it was important for me to work to help make ends meet. I worked my way through college and seminary. I was forever grateful to God that I learned early the work ethic, and I have never been afraid to work. But he says, don't substitute stealing for work. You see, Satan is a thief, and he wants you to be one. Don't steal information at school by cheating. Don't steal from your employer. Don't steal things. Don't shoplift. That's an alarming problem today. And it's a lot of it's being done even by employees who work in the store. Some large stores up the price a third because they have to cover the thefts, the thefts that come from shoplifting. There are all kinds of ways to steal. Intentional overestimating, falsified cost overruns, outright embezzlement are rampant throughout business and industry. Padding expense account, reporting more hours than you work, failing to report income to IRS, and other such deceptions are accepted as normal by most people. To them, stealing is simply a game in which getting caught is the only cause for regret or shame. But Paul reminds us as Christians, that can't be characteristic of us. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, there's a purpose in our work, and that is that we will be able to share with those who have a need. If you steal, you take from someone. But if you work so you can care for your family and yourself and others, then God uses you. God's always used hardworking people. Moses cared for sheep. Gideon threshed wheat. David minded his father's flock. The first four disciples were fishermen. Jesus himself was a carpenter. Paul was a, was a tent maker. And on and on we can go. 
Everybody I read about in Scripture who amounted to anything was somebody who didn't mind to work. But I also notice God's directions are practical and purposeful. The reason why God gives us these directions about our speech and our attitudes and our actions is because he has something more in mind. For example, he says, the reasons for these directions is so that you will not give the devil an opportunity. Now, that's really important. If you notice verse 27 begins with an and, A-N-D. You have to go back and pick up verse 26. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath and do not give the devil an opportunity. What he's saying is this. If you get angry, you're going to give the devil an opportunity. If you don't have a righteous angle, you're going to give it anger. You're going to have to give, you're going to give him an opportunity. And if you are angry about things you shouldn't be, you're going to give him a place. You're going to give him a handle to reach out and take hold of your life. You're going to give him a beachhead in your spiritual experience. See, Satan wants to build fortresses in our lives, places where he can build up anger, resentment, all kinds of things. The Greek word here for opportunity means space and territory. Don't give him space. Don't give the devil a place. How does this happen? You're weak in an area, so you go and do something that exposes you to temptation and gives him an opportunity or you allow Satan to have his way. You don't confess that, and it begins. he begins to build a fortress. During World War II, the Japanese held many of the islands in the Pacific, and the only way that we could defeat them was to take them island by island. The only way that we could take the islands was to send the troops from the ships, and they would hit the beaches. There would be many casualties. They would establish a beachhead, and then they would move inward. That's exactly what Satan does. He establishes a beachhead in our lives, something that we just don't deal with like we should or we deal with wrongly, angry or resentment or bitterness, and then he builds a fortress there. Now, another reason why we are to follow these directions is so that we won't grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, the little word and, A-N-D, is used in verse 30. After all that he said before, he says, all this that I've talked about, speech, and he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I think it's important to realize that if we allow unwholesome words out of our mouth, impurities, obscenities, criticisms, caustic words, sarcastic words against others, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Literally what that means, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Quit. Evil and rotten words bring sorrow to Jesus who lives in you. He weeps and he hurts when we do that. This is God you're hurting, a person, not an it. If I run into a chair and scratch it, I'm sorry, but it doesn't grieve me. If I hurt a person, that's a different thing. I can grieve them. You can only grieve a person. You can never grieve a thing. Grief is a tender word about love. One cannot be grieved by someone he does not love. They do not grieve unless they love you. We grieve the Holy Spirit because he loves us, because he wants the best for us. We're causing Jesus, through his spirit who lives in us, to be hurt, to be sorrowful, to be brokenhearted. And because of our actions that do that, it brings grief to him. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he's grieved. He loves you and it breaks his heart that you reject him and refuse him. For he said it's by the Holy Spirit you're sealed until the day of redemption. That's God's guarantee. Cattlemen put brands on cattle 
as everyone knows, to, to show who they belong. The Holy Spirit is the brand that shows that we belong to God. And God calls us, if we want him to be the Lord of our lives, to let his spirit control from the inside out. Let's do that today as we go about our daily activities. God bless you.